Amen. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29. <clears throat> if you... Uh, if you do gather these outlines, you might notice this one's written a little bit differently. I've actually written the entire outline uh, for, for Genesis 29. I say that now, I think, well, maybe, maybe I'm going to check. All of Genesis 29 up to verse 30. Um, I don't know why I stopped there, to be honest with you. I thought I did the entire thing. But uh, we'll be in this set of outlines for... Uh, the bulk of the next two Wednesdays at least. Uh, this first section, this first six verses, I've entitled Behold Rachel. Uh, this is the introduction to uh, what would be Jacob's bride, and as some of you already know, it's a little more complicated than that, but this is his uh, first introduction to her. So we'll read Genesis chapter 29, uh, verses 1 through 6. Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. And he looked, and behold, a well in the field, and lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered, and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and watered the sheep, and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in, its, in his place. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran we are. Or of Haran are we? And he said unto them, Know ye Laban the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said unto them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel his daughter cometh with the sheep. We now begin three whole chapters which cover the twenty long years of Jacob's time away from the land of Canaan. Uh, remember, this is where he was headed. He was looking for Laban. This is where uh, his mother, which is uh, Laban's sister, this is where uh, Jacob's mother had sent him to go, and he's just confirming here that he's found the place that he was sent. Uh, also, it would be important for us to remember at this point that he was in his mid-70s when he left the land of Canaan before he made this journey, before he laid upon a stone, as we saw last lesson, and uh, before he established it to be a pillar. He would have been in his 70s. This isn't a 20-year-old man. Uh, this is a 70-year-old man uh, who's seeking after his own wife. The Lord providentially guided Jacob northward into Syria, then eastward across the Euphrates, a subject we mentioned quite a bit on Sunday. And as he neared Haran, which is now in Mesopotamia, the Lord led him to the very well where the flocks of sheep belonging to his relatives were watered. Dr. Henry Morris points out that there seems to have been a local regulation regarding the well, stipulating that its stone covering only be removed at a certain time in the evening, at which time all of the flocks in the, of the vicinity were to be watered in turn in order of arrival. Those that arrived first would get through first and hence there were some that would come in and get in line quite early which is really what jacob finds here the, the well the mouth of the well is still closed by this great stone uh, these are the early parties just kind of getting in line and waiting for the opportunity for this stone to be rolled away the stone covering the well's mouth was very uh, likely to be very large and these shepherds were gathered uh, there were very likely to be young men and some of which even women which we know is true because Behold, Rachel. Rachel's coming as a type of shepherdess, uh, coming with these sheep to get them water. It would have been easier for them to move this great stone as a group, which would have been another reason for probably this tradition to have begun, where they would come together and feed in mass. 
So the first point I have for us is when it's literally called when last we came to Haran, because it's a good opportunity for us to have a little bit of a refresher. Uh, we covered quite a bit of this event when we were first in Haran with that faithful servant. I, I gave us an opportunity to kind of look forward to the next time we'd see Laban, and now we're at that time. Uh, this all occurred in chapter 24 this first time that we were here. Note again the distinction between these two events thus far, uh, and that being prayer. The nameless, faithful servant that was commissioned by Abraham, taking a vow, an intimate vow with Abraham, his master, to go and do these things, prayed and prayed often. And as I had alluded to last Wednesday, that, that event that we saw last Wednesday is really the last time we see Jacob pray. Does he pray outside of what's noted in Scripture? don't know but we know him to be likely the chronicler of this time period and he doesn't mention that he himself prayed at all uh, that he prayed that his trip would be fruitful upon arriving that he prayed the lord would uh, send him a bride we don't see that that he would uh, be led to run into his uncle and his uncle's family we don't see prayer there we see providence we see the lord leading we see the lord at work but we don't see Jacob giving thanks or beseeching prayer and leadership at all. Now, when we taught on the servant, we were amazed at the Lord's faithfulness to hear his prayer at the well. And I just want to read that again as review. Genesis 24, verses 10 through 14. It said there, and the servant, Genesis 24, verse 10, the servant took 10 camels of the camels of his master and departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, under the city of Nahor. <clears throat> and, he might, and he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day, and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand there, here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink, and she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. <clears throat> let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know thou hast showed kindness unto my master." And we referenced when we went through Genesis 24 what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 65, 24. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. And we know Rebekah came to the well while the servant yet prayed. The very next couple of verses confirm that. And here, Rachel came while Jacob was criticizing the other shepherds for not moving along. He wasn't praying. He was having conversation with man. It's interesting to me that if Isaac indeed was the chronicler of what we know to be Genesis 24, and his son Jacob is the chronicler of what we now read in Genesis 29, why it's mentioned that the faithful servant prayed so much when Isaac wasn't there to witness it, and why Jacob, if he did indeed pray, wouldn't mention it when he's chronicling and he was there. I think it's very significant. And I also think it's very sad that even today Christians won't rush to pray. The servant arrived. The servant, no doubt, would uh, have been uh, drooling with anticipation of what the Lord might have for his master. We see it in his words. And yet he stopped to pray. And when Rebekah was revealed, he prayed again and gave thanks. 
Jacob, who just had a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ as a ladder, who just established a pillar that will later become an altar, doesn't seem to do the same thing. His interactions is with, are with the men of the land, not God himself. He thus abandons the model servant characteristics that we discussed when we looked at Genesis 24, that being intelligent obedience, which we saw in Genesis 24, verses 1 through 9, zealous interest, which we saw in the same chapter, verses 10 through 14, a holy tact, which we will soon find it's also not present here, but this was covered in Genesis 24, verses 15 through 33, loving faithfulness, verses 34 through 49, and at the latter part of Genesis 24, the faithful servant illustrated blessed success, which is in the hands of the Father, but acknowledged by the faithful servant. This very specific believing prayer is a wonderful example of how we today can be praying to God's will or for God's will. It is his will, and we should be desirous of it. Our praying toward it can only improve our hearts and expectations. In a day and age when we still see denominational institutions reciting prayers word for word over and over and over again, believing that's the, the magic trick, the Indiana Jones uh, magic token, if you will, that will access the throne, and we know this to be heretical, and we know this to be inaccurate, and yet we don't go to God at all. Beseeching leadership or giving thanks for what we've received. It's more than just some words we've memorized before we eat. And it's more than what we saw our grandparents do before they went to bed. It is the connective tissue of our relationship with God. And it must be there, or you have forsaken Him. Before we can say that Jacob forsook God, we need to recognize within ourselves where we could do better, do we not? Where we could do better to give the Lord uh, his, his due rights. It is disheartening to see that prayer was not exercised in the approach to his destination. And even worse, to note that he did not give God the glory for arriving at this destination, safely or arriving there at all, for the good health of Laban. Laban's still alive. He's not dead. What he was looking for, who he was looking for, is still there. And he arrived at this very significant well in which others were there that knew Laban. He didn't give thanks for that. And the approach of one from Laban's household. Should Jacob not have fallen to his knees and immediately given thanks that all of these things seem to have come together, providentially so, for the good of him that was called God's? Indeed, he should have. All things, again, that we know the faithful servant had done. Now, if we look back at our text, and we'll keep going here in Genesis 7, or Genesis 29, verses 7 through 12, we read, And he said, Lo, it is yet high day. This is the criticism part. Neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water ye the sheep. I like to insert the word strangers there because he's yelling at people he doesn't know. Water ye the sheep, strangers. Go feed them. And they said, We cannot until all the flocks be gathered together, until they roll the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. And while he yet spake with them, 
Rachel came with her father's sheep. And I like the way it's written there because it's almost word for word. And while the faithful servant prayed, Rebecca approached the well. But here we say, and, 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 and while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. She would have been one of those shepherdesses. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban's, Laban, his mother's brother, and Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. Uh, young, young gentleman. I know Jacob may appear to be very smooth here, but it's advisable to at least introduce yourself before you do all the things Jacob did. Jacob, we might say, when we talked about the faithful servant, we talked about how there were some things that he done he had done in haste, uh, and I, you may recall that we it wasn't ignorant haste, and it wasn't obtuse haste, but he moved quickly when a clear direction and a clear path was provided for. Here. I mean, I, I'd sketchy at best, but I wouldn't say a clear path. And we see Jacob move with great haste, directing strangers to get out of the way, moving the stone himself, kissing Rachel. Now, whether this be a, a, a greeting-type kiss or not, depending on what commentator you read, this would have been inappropriate, uh, especially for one who wasn't with family, wasn't with men of her family at the time. This wouldn't have been something that would have been acceptable. Rebecca's son coming home, so to speak, would have been tremendous news. As according to Scripture, it's been nearly 100 years since Rebecca herself had left in the moment's notice, following after that faithful servant and marrying Isaac. And this kiss here was likely more of a greeting. However, even that type of kiss, as I mentioned, would have typically been more common among relatives and close friends, not uh, strangers you meet at a well. This likely would have been odd to the other shepherds, the other shepherdesses, as well as to Rachel. The shouting and open weeping that he did afterwards probably wouldn't have helped his case much either. Uh, reading again in verse 13, And it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embrace him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely thou art bone of my uh, bone, or, or thou art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with him the space of a month. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. Now keeping in mind that Jacob had an interest in Rachel and that he was in Haran to, steal, to steer clear of his brother Esau, it was in his best interest to be useful so that uh, especially useful to his uncle so that he had a place to dwell and so that he didn't have to rush back home to where Esau would have been looking to slay him after he finished his grieving. And after a month's time, Laban's language seemed to reveal that Jacob was going to be around for a while. 
And we have here two points that I want to discuss from this portion of the text, and then we'll, we'll close and go into our business meeting. The first is contract law. Uh, and this is going to be a real exciting part of the sermon, I'm sure. But uh, we have some biblical examples of the importance of certain things that still appear in contract law to date. And here it's contract law of the land. Now, a clear contract is discussed. Seven more years of service for Rachel. And this is all going to be laid out in, in this chapter. Seven more years of service for Rachel, the younger daughter, to wed. Laban seemingly agreed to the wage in that he said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. There's some things that, um, that I noticed in reading through this, that Laban doesn't restate the agreement. He just simply says, it's better that we do this thing. Uh, he doesn't say, I absolutely agree to these terms, and there'll be no renegotiation. This is what we'll do. He says, this is better. It's better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. Continue on in what you're doing, and, and we'll get together again in seven years, essentially. Here's a quick lesson on the importance of having the terms of such a contract in writing. With witnesses. And this has been illustrated for us already. Abraham entered into contracts with witnesses and clear defining terms of what those contracts might be. So what we've already kind of seen is that Isaac didn't portray the importance of the faithful servant praying and giving thanks and beseeching the Lord to his son, Jacob, or really to Esau. We've not seen any reason to think Esau had those lessons either. But he also didn't really discuss how granddaddy Abraham did business. Think back to when uh, the cave of Machpelah was purchased. Abraham did this back in Genesis 23, and there were witnesses. And he agreed to the offering they said, the price that they stated. He didn't haggle over it. He agreed to it. Even Abraham's dealings with Abimelech were handled with witnesses. Perhaps Laban's father was similar in his dealings with Abraham, his brother, yeah, Laban's father was Haran, and Haran and Abraham were brothers, you might remember. Uh, and maybe this is why Abraham was as cautious as he was. Maybe his brother tried to rip him off when they were younger, and maybe Laban's a lot like Haran. I, I don't want to insinuate too many things that we don't have in Scripture. But Abraham seemed to be wise to good deals and making sure that they were specific in their agreements. Then again, with what Jacob put Esau through, perhaps the education was lost on him. With what Jacob had just done before leaving home and the arrangements there made and the blessings there, we'll say stolen because in the flesh that's what happened. Maybe he wasn't really concerned about honest dealings. Jacob proved to be a willing and able worker, one who was destined to a significant inheritance from Isaac one day. Laban had no reason to have concern over whether his daughter would be cared for or daughters. This is the type of son-in-law Laban would not mind having around for the long haul. Seven years at a time, as it be, was a pretty good arrangement for him. One who would surely be able to bear the burdens of both of his daughters just as well as the one. A person of great conviction tends to see to it that their agreements or contracts reflect such convictions. I've never met more careful people in entering into contracts than Christians. We usually are very cautious, and Scripture advises us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We just saw this on Sunday. I would advise you to not take a man's word for it, even another Christian man's word for it. Get it in writing. Have witnesses. Have witnesses 
and if need be, have a lawyer available as a witness to sign off on what's taking place. Uh, the things that I've overheard since Rebecca took on this new job, the situations that these kids find themselves in because they're not like everyone else, and the hoops that their parents have to jump through. We shouldn't trust our kids to a village. And we shouldn't trust our homes to a village either. Make sure that you are aware of what you're entering into. And Scripture, by the way, while we're there, also advises to not enter into usuries, to not enter into debt as much as possible, beloved friends. As born-again believers, we should be mindful of this. And the second thing that we need to consider from this text, the first being contract law of the land, the second, the parties heretofore contracted. Warren Wiersbe remarked that Rachel means you, while Leah means wild cow. And we mentioned that when we were in Genesis 24. But again, Rachel means you like a lamb. Aww. And Leah means wild cow. And probably not too many of us are going to say, oh, after saying wild cow. If a wild cow or three were dropped off in my driveway Sunday at midnight, I wouldn't be standing here confessing to be the owner of three new wild cows. But three small puppy dogs, we figured it out. I don't think a, a person's less of a man or a woman to say that there's a difference. I know today we have to be careful because everybody's a bigot and a racist that does distinguish differences, but there's a difference. Leah's, according to the scripture and according to a lot of commentators, what, what's being defined here is that Leah's eyes lack that deep sparkle that in Middle Eastern cultures is a mark of beauty. A lot of fancy words there, but if you cut out everything I said in the middle, Leah's eyes lacked beauty is what we're reading here certainly verse 17 bears this out genesis 29 verse 17 says leah was tender-eyed but rachel when we use conjunctions like but we're turning around and especially the word but we're turning around in an exact 180 in the exact opposite direction that we were just headed so if we were heading in the direction of leah being tender-eyed but now we're going that way whatever we're about to say is the opposite so we're in the tender-eyed zone, and Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. That's different than tender-eyed. When Laban pulls out a tradition of man in Genesis 29, verse 26, which reads, And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. We can see why this beautiful Rachel had not been permitted to marry before this time. Keep in mind that Jacob, again, is in his 70s when he gets into this area. So we shouldn't expect that these sisters were too much younger than he was, I hope. But he's about to take on both of them. And we have to stop here. Many know what's coming, so really what we're going forward with is just some, some details of the situation to really flush out our study of the book of Genesis. But it's interesting to me uh, how much contract law we can learn from the experience that uh, Jacob is essentially putting himself through and maybe some will think well that's harsh pastor to say that Jacob's doing that to himself but Jacob didn't have any interest in taking the Lord with him we don't see where he beseeched the Lord so Jacob did this to himself and I think a good thing for us to parallel out of that is that we do it to ourselves too when we sit down and, and confer with our loved one over purchasing a new home purchasing a new car taking on a new job or entering into the mission field perhaps and we don't say what does the lord have to say about this 
Is there a thus saith the Lord that supports doing it? Or a thus saith the Lord that supports not doing it? Have we prayed? Have we fasted? Have we really labored to see what God would have for us? Then we are making a choice too to enter into a contract blind. I don't know that there's a greater witness to have than God himself. God seemed to be okay with it. He sent his son to be a witness and to transfer that authority to have us to be witnesses. It came from the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us be mindful, especially in these wicked days, when the world's not really looking to do us a whole lot of favors anyhow, to be very wise and harmless, but very wise in our dealings, especially with this world.